Hey everyone, welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Katherine Druckmann. Doc Searles is back today, just awesome. And he just came from an event. His projects had a VRM and Customer Commons Day, and then he'll tell us a little bit more about that. But uh, before we get into that, I wanted to remind everyone to frequently visit our uh, website, reality2cast.com. That's the number two. There you can find links to newsletters and blog posts and other good info, or we, we hope it's good and useful to you. Um, and yeah, so visit us there, uh, reach out anytime and with comments or suggestions. And with that, I will hand it over to Doc so he can tell us what he was doing today. Thanks a lot, Catherine. It's, this is one of those days where you can be in many places without leaving your chair. <laughs> I know, um, right? And, and this, so, so I'm up and pacing now because I haven't been sitting, I've been sitting all day. Uh, and so I don't have to be visible, which is really good, too. I don't have to show my face, which is great. Uh, a big advantage of podcasts. So the event today, um, just a little bit about it. It, it was called um, VRM and Customer Commons Day. And that's too much. I'll just give you the background on it. I, I started a project at uh, the Berkman Center at Harvard in 2006 when I was given a fellowship there with the obligation to start a project. And, the pro- and with the expectation that it would be done in a year, um, along with the fellowship. The fellowship lasted four years and the project is still going on. And the project is called Project VRM, which stands for Vendor Relationship Management. It's the customer side counterpart of Customer Relationship Management, which is the $60 billion um, B2B business that uh, helps companies imagine that they know you and have a relationship with you when in fact, mostly they're keeping records on you. Uh, and the original idea was mostly that we're going to equip customers in the marketplace to, with um, tools and services that give them both independence and better ways to engage. And we started this, you know, only six years after the Clue Train Manifesto was published as a book and seven years after it appeared as a website. Uh, some context on that. Uh, the word Clue Train didn't exist before uh, 1999. It's in maybe 15,000 books now. And it's uh, tweeted some number of times a day because the, the book and the website had, had a lot of effect. And, and it resonated because what it said was that, you know, that we are independent beings and the, the internet is ours and we should be able to do what we want with it and have a great time and, and not be slaves to corporate overlords. And that would in fact be good for business. Uh, and, uh, and so we've been working for, you know, the Project VRM basically was made to encourage development. It encouraged a lot of it. There are hundreds of companies, actually, that and, and individuals that have participated on our list and have shared what they're working on. A lot of them have died. Um, a lot of new ones have been born. There's a lot of new activity in the blockchain distributed ledger, self-sovereign identity spaces, which are all overlapping. Uh, there's just been a lot of activity, but there's not been a whole lot of um, effect in, in, in the ways that we were looking for. And now back in 2012, I wrote a book called uh, the, in, the Intention Economy, not Attention, The Intention Economy, subtitled When Customers Take Charge, uh, which I thought was late when I wrote it. And it turns out so far to have been, because it came out in 2012. So, so far it's been uh, almost nine years early. Uh, so, and lots of people are still enthused about it. In fact, lately, 
we've it's gotten a lot of action. It's gotten even though it's a now a somewhat old book, I wouldn't change a word in it except for the names of the pioneering companies that have since disappeared. But the the ambitions are are still intact, and there are a lot of people who are excited about about those ambitions, which uh, have a kind of um, almost a poignant as well as energetic quality now that we're talking about big tech and we have regulations now we didn't have then. Uh, we didn't have the GDPR. We didn't have the CCPA. We didn't have a lot of other privacy uh, regulations that have come along since then. We had no cookie notices on websites uh, or any of that. So, um, so there's a lot of enthusiasm about that. But I had in the last year, as part of my frustration, I came to realize that something I'd I'd been saying and a number of other people have been saying was really kind of a terminal condition uh, and, and can't be fixed actually. And that is the client server, um, client, the uh, uh, browser to uh, website uh, relationship, which is inherently slave master and, and uh, or what some of us have been calling calf cow. We are calves that go to the cows of websites for, the milk of content plus some cookies that help them keep track of things about us and for us and the rest of it. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that as an architecture, there is something wrong with it as the architecture. What's happened is that the, the browser in many ways has become our operating system. And, and we're still trying to fix that. We're trying to fix privacy on that. We're trying to fix identity on that. We're trying to fix a lot of other things on that. And we could get a certain distance with it, but after 20 years, I'm a little bit frustrated with it. So a, a couple of pieces of background on that. And by the way, we had a big meeting about this today. That, that's where I just came from. Um, so in 07, um, Sid Stam, uh, Dan Kaminsky and, and Chris Segoyan uh, came up with the bright idea of, of, the, of, of Do Not Track. In fact, I remember when Chris sitting, he was a Berkman fellow at the same time, said at a meeting, this is like an 06 or 07, well, we've got a do not call list on phones. Why don't we have a do not track list for, um, for being tracked on websites? Because tracking was starting to take off then. Uh, there, there wasn't that much tracking around the turn of the millennium, but, there, uh, but the advertising business kind of discovered said, well, wait a minute, we can be digital now and we can just, we can follow people everywhere. We can make all of advertising accountable. We can make it much more targeted. Um, we can make it much more interactive and all that kind of stuff. So um, as, as tracking started to take off, um, they came up with this idea for Do Not Track. And within uh, several years, uh, there was a W3C uh, standard that was baked enough. And especially considering that all Do Not Track was as a browser header or a field in a browser header that, that uh, that issued a polite request not to be tracked off the website. I mean, nothing wrong with being kept track of on the website because you need that kind of coherence. But for going off the website, there's no reason for them to track you off the website. So not that we want it anyway. There are lots of reasons that the analytics people would want it, but there are no reasons why the user would want it. Um, nobody wants to be tracked out of a, a grocery store, you know, so they can be advertised at better. Um, if you ask people if they want to be tracked, almost all of them are going to say no. So, um, so what happened was, um, as Do Not Track began to 
gain traction as an obvious thing to at least put in a browser, um, Mozilla was the first of the browsers to, by default, turn it on. Now, um, well, the others had it more as an opt-in thing. Hey, if you want to say this to an attracting to the websites you go to, uh, you can go turn it on over here if you're curious. Um, and the Interactive Advertising Bureau, the IAB, uh, led the entire ad tech world, which is the, the basically the tracking-based digital advertising world, um, to fight this. Um, and uh, they did some stuff right out of the um, political, um, almost dirty tricks uh, songbook of lying about something. They said, uh, you know, Mozilla is killing small business, you know, save small business by fighting this do not track thing, you know, and fighting the, the, the uh, defaulted on do not track in your browser. And within a while, a short while, Mozilla caved. Um, and, um, and even though I was hired on by Mozilla as a consultant, not long after that, because I, I said a lot of unkind, well, kind, but blunt things about that. Um, uh, but they, they caved and all the rest of the browser makers said, okay, you can opt into it if you want. And in the meantime, it didn't matter anyway, because all of the publishers led by the advertising world said, ah, we're not going to pay attention to it anyway. Fuck it. We're just not going to do it where we don't care. Uh, uh, we don't like do not track. Uh, it's not good. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. So it became powerless. And what followed was, um, was the, uh, was, was, was ad blocking. Because basically what people said was, well, geez, we'll just block ads. You know, the ads are tracking us anyway. We don't like them. Um, and, and we're just going to start ad blocking. And ad blocking significantly have been around since 2004. So this is like 2013, 2012, 2013. Oh. And all of a sudden, people are, are, are blocking ads uh, at a rate that reached the hundreds of millions within a year or two, maybe even less. Um, and... And, and that would not have hockey sticked had Do Not Track worked. Uh, I'm sure of it. And it was pretty clear that there was this high degree of correlation between a, a, a decline of interest in terms of searches um, for Do Not Track and searches for how to block ads and, yeah. and other strings like that. And so, and, and so there was this, you know, apparently causal effect between these. And I bring this up because you know, that, 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 you know, the fact there were numbers after that that went up as high as, as 2 billion in estimating how many people were blocking ads online on either their, their phones or their machines. And I mean, this is a monstrously large signal sent by the marketplace to the advertising entities of the world that at the very least, they didn't want to be tracked. They probably didn't like the advertising anyway. And, and, and yet, Nothing happened, really. And I don't think we would have had the GDPR or the CCPA in California were it not for the fact that the, that the advertising business, the advertisers and the publishers were resolute in, in fighting this. And they could do it because we were the calves and they were the cows and we, we had to do what they wanted. In fact, when the GDPR came along, I was very optimistic about this. I wrote some pieces in Linux Journal about it. Um, that I was looking forward very enthusiastically to the enforcement of the GDPR starting in the 25th of May, 2018. 
And what happened after that was, well, you can look up GDPR compliance on Google and you're going to get like 300 million results. And I think that's an accurate number within a few dozen million. Um, and those are going to tell you that, I mean, all of them, nearly all of them anyway, as far as I can tell, are for uh, uh, complying with the uh, letter, but screwing the spirit of the GDPR and keeping tracking alive. And that's why you now see these cookie notices on nearly every website that are all nudging you toward agreeing to be tracked because that's what you get when you hit accept. Uh, and if you don't hit accept, you, you go, either you ignore it, which you can, they, look, they try to make it look like you can't ignore it, but you can. Um, but you can click on the thing that says my choices or something like that. And, and then there's a long gauntlet of things you can turn on and off uh, and where is that remembered? Well, not in your browser. Um, no, no, you get a cookie and, and it's remembered somewhere else where you have really no, no way of auditing compliance on their part uh, and, or any of that. And that is an artifact of the way that the calf cow nature of the, of the, the browser server relationship is structured. Um, we are subordinate and we have no power there in terms of agreements with uh, service providers. So so that asymmetry is built in it. And you'd think with the European Union and the state of California and, and every privacy outfit in the world fighting this, that we'd get somewhere, but we aren't. It's worse. <laughs> if anything, it is worse. And so, so what do we need? So I'll jump ahead to last year. Um, uh, a guy named Hadrian Zbarcia, Z-B-A-R-C-E-A, um, who has been a, on the podcast. Who, who's been on our show. He's been on our mm -hmm. show. So Hadrian got in touch with us uh, and, and with me in particular. He'd read The Intention Economy, my book, and he said, I, I have a way to do this. I have a way to work on this that, that gets us out of the, the browser server uh, conundrum. And by creating something that's, that starts with um, asynchrony, that, that where... where um, there can be messaging, you know, we, we can have much better messaging, much better, I'm sorry, um, signaling between demand and supply and much more symmetry in the marketplace and many, many more ways for, for customers and companies to signal each other, more and better ways than advertising alone, which is all guesswork at this point, um, and, and which actually expresses real demand, uh, can do it locally, can do it nationally and internationally, and and. And, and can have actual infrastructure in it. And a model for that is actually like a po the, the postal model or freight forwarding, which has any number of intermediaries handing things off in the middle. Um, and so he, he came up with something that we call, and this is what we talked about today. And nothing has been published on this so far. So this may be the first you're hearing about it. Uh, there, the whole thing is called the, the intention byway. And we chose Byway because um, um, the highways are basically all owned by, uh, at least in, for e-commerce, by Amazon and Google and Apple and everybody else with a subscription system and, and a way of making you um, talk and a way of making you buy and the rest of it. Um, but the Byway is, is, you know, the side roads. Let's start with making the, the side roads, little blue lines on a map where there are towns along the way, which would be like the equivalent of handing things off from here to there. And, and at either end uh, on the part of the individual uh, customer and the company at the other end is something we call 
the intentron, um, like intent with a tron at the end. And the intentron is your compute node. It can be either hardware or software, but it's and probably will run Linux and uh, and can run apps. But the apps don't have to come from the Google Store, or the Apple Store, and actually don't even have to big or have a user interface. They can just be uh, a little utility that runs a, an algorithm that works for you. That's your algorithm that, and it's based on your data. So if you have your your health or financial or or property or um, uh, calendar contacts, other forms of data where where you're willing to look at your own life and say, well, maybe I need this or I don't need that or maybe I'm ready for this over here or maybe I've been spending too much on, on upkeep with this house and we can move to another one. There's all kinds of decisions we can make that we can't even imagine right now because we're not working, because all the algorithms in the world are working for people that want to sell us crap rather than working for us wanting to do something for ourselves. Now, there are many, many ways that we can think, think about how this can be used, but the one that has the most interest and has from the beginning with Project VRM going back to 2006 is called intent casting, which is advertising that goes the other way from the individual to the marketplace. That says something like, I need a stroller for twins in the next uh, two hours in Central Park who's coming through and doing it in a way that doesn't expose um, uh, doesn't expose the, the the customer to privacy intrusions, and so and, and this just really has a lot of people excited. There were already like twenty or thirty developers in this space, not much funding, but there are a lot there. But this is what Hadrian put together is a way of doing this, and he has some code, and he showed it. He showed it in. Uh, uh, in a in a command line, <laughs> it types so small it's hard for people to see, but at least people could see what was going on. And it's early, and it's prototypical at this point, and it's proof of concept. But um, it has people excited, you know. So that's where that's where we are with that, and that's what the meeting was about today. And so we're we're excited about the possibilities. I, I'm especially excited about um, thinking outside the box where we have not, from which we have not escaped after. Um, after almost 20 years. And that was a real hold forth, wasn't it? Yeah, I just realized I, I, I did that thing. Sorry, I was on mute. It's going on my <laughs> tombstone now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so is is this code, is it publicly available somewhere? Can we like look it, it up it's on, on GitHub, GitHub or? Yeah, it yeah, is okay. on GitHub. Okay, and, then I'll put and, a link um, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll find it for you. Um, it, it's on GitHub uh, and, uh, and it's open source. It's, and, and, Part of the modeling here for messaging, um, I believe it uses active MQ. Um, I'm trying to remember, but there's a there's a messaging approach. It's actually widely used in enterprises. It's familiar to enterprises, and that's the one he chose for that. I don't know, you know, what language he's doing it in. I, I imagine it might be JavaScript or something else. But in any case, it I, it's simple enough so that we can you know, think through a lot of ways it can be used. But again, it's kind of prototypical at this case and at this stage. But we want to get just people thinking about it. And it's not easy. It's not easy to get people to think outside the, you know, I've got a browser, you've got a server box. Yeah. Even though, well, like even it, though, like, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, like it was, you know, it was hard for people to get out of the idea of, you know, uh, third party tracking was the only way to make money in publishing in 2010. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Until it suddenly didn't work because people, you know, decided the, 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 like you mentioned earlier, 
you know, even though ad, ad blocking had been around a while, there was a sudden sort of boom in ad blocking around probably between 2010 and 2013, around that time that you mentioned. And I'm sure, it, you know, it's related or. Yeah, and it's, it's and, still, it's, yeah, go ahead. Well, it, it, it caught, you know, it, I'm not going to say it took publishers down, but maybe it did take publishers down. I mean, it, it would, you know, suddenly even mainstream publishers were were struggling tremendously with what you know having to to deal with not not knowing how to respond to the massive rise in popularity of ad blocking and you still see you know residue of that today with you know various sites not allowing you you know to see anything if you have an ad blocker on yeah it's it not the right answer it just creates a this ridiculous adversarial ecosystem that doesn't serve anyone yeah it's it's you know, and, and again, it's, it's an example of not being able to think outside of a box. But in, in that case, it's more than one box. One is, one is the we have to be in the browser server world to begin with, because that's what the web is. And and to begin with. And then if you're a publisher, I have outsourced my uh, my advertising from the team that I used to have here and would sell, you know, um, brand ads, which are, you know, we have space here buy space here because you want to sponsor our publication to to the ed tech world which says no we're just we're gonna we're gonna advertise to your readers but not on your magazine we're gonna advertise to wherever they show up but we'll follow them out of here and that you know and, and it was lost frankly on the publishers except for ones like ours um that 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 this was not in their interest <laughs> you know yeah, but, yeah. but there was no one there was no other system it's like suddenly the whole damn world went to this shitty system of 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 you know putting putting ear tags on on site visitors and following them everywhere you know so you get somebody who reads the wall street journal but they show up on breitbart and they get the ad on breitbart because um they're tagged as a wall street journal reader and and then they could then you know somebody complains saying our we have our brand was on breitbart and that, that that's uh that's not brand safety. We don't like them. Well, too bad. You, you know, your reader went there. And and on top of that, the Wall Street Journal didn't get any money out of that. But they made enough in the in the system that they had that, you know, it, it justified it. But as we know from Augustine Fu, who's been on the show a couple of times, I think, um, um, it, the whole system's full of fraud and malware and worse. But yeah. it's it's a hard, it's a hard system to think outside of. It is very, and and the people doing the, you know, buying the the ads on various publishing platforms are are so ingrained in the system that they they can't they don't see beyond, you know, various you know the whatever third party verification they're they're using to make sure their ads are being served. They don't really they they think in this very, you know, well defined and well established system that is full of crap. Like you know, they don't it doesn't they don't consider the fact that um, the, the eyeballs that are that are reaching your below the fold, so to speak, uh, banner ad are in fact not eyeballs, but really just, mm-hmm. you know, bots and fraud and, and, and whatnot. Because in fact, I, I remember one statistic that Augustine Fu mentioned on an episode that he was on. I, well, I can't remember the exact number, but just the fact that the, t- the amount of ad impressions supposedly in existence is actually impossible that there it's just not even possible yeah for for there to be enough people to to have actually 
seen all of the ads that are out there in in the you know banner ad economy and it, it's just kind of a it's a ridiculous thing to think about when you when you, it, you know, it, it has horrible yeah it's true it has horrible incentives too i mean because yeah uh you know you can if you want to get paid by the ad tech uh, FICO system, just fake up a, you know, run a whole lot of bots that click on ads, um, you know, on your fake publication and make it look like it's a real one and a bunch of other stuff like that. I mean, it's just, and, and it's too easy to make money uh, doing that. Or it that. used to be. And I don't know. Is it still? It, I'm so it glad you is, said FICO system, by the way. Yeah. I get to I whip out that FICO poop system. emoji uh, thing that I use. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, <laughs> It's, it's really icky. And, you know, the, there's a principle that, that says in technology, what can be done will be done no matter what until we figure out it shouldn't be done. And we've done this with nuclear power and microplastics and, you know, a lot of other things where we say, wait a minute, that wasn't a great idea. You know, uh, we're just going to flush sewage into the, wa into the water, <laughs> into the river. You know, we did that for what a thousand years, you know, and yeah. well, now we're flushing um, it into and the wait a, oh. yeah, maybe we need to put it into the into the sea, and then wait a minute, that's not a great idea. Maybe we need sewage treatment, uh, and it's you know we do what we we do what's easy until we find out it's wrong, and then we start changing it. I think in this case though, it's you know this is you know if if we just start with and this is what Hadrian did, it just started with well, how can we get better signaling between demand and supply? than supply guessing at and trying to nudge demand into doing what it wants. Uh, that's a really lousy system. And a big part of what he's imagining, this is a really critical thing. We, we had two demonstrations this morning that, were, that involved two categories. And these are ones that came forward for us. Um, some, some business people, you know, when they hear what we're, what we're trying to do, say, wait a minute, we want that. Uh, one is real estate and the other is food. And uh, for real estate, there's a group in uh, Boston that are working on what's, what's really broken about real estate. What's broken about real estate, and most people don't know, is that the, the supply side of it is very cartelized. It used to be that the multiple listing services, service, the MLS, would list in a book. It used to be in a book that had little photos, uh, terrible photos in black and white of houses. But it, would, it was a you know, the MLS was the master list of anything that was for sale at a given time. And the brokers kind of worked from that. Well, now Redfin and the other um, major, major, well, first of all, there are local brokers hardly matter anymore. They're all, they have to be part of one of these cartels. It's a lot like the healthcare business. You have to be yeah. in one of the big, big, uh, big healthcare systems. And, and so, and those have basically their own listings. They don't publish them all. And this has the effect of constraining supply so the demand the price goes up on everything. And it's a major reason why the price of real estate has gone up and nobody's talking about it, except these people who are in the business saying, we need to unscrew this. And, but they see, wait a minute, what if people on the supply side don't wanna go through the broker mess where they're gonna get big cuts and so forth. Um, and instead we'll go you know, we'll, um, uh, we'll go direct, we'll go direct and we'll, you know, I'm planning to, I'm planning to sell my house in three months. I'm going to, I'm going to let the market know, but I'm going to let it know a minimal amount without giving away too much about me, but it's some stuff about the house, but it's just, they're rethinking it from, 
from both the supply and the demand side in, in ways that presume that you don't really need the, these, uh, these guys in the middle, you know, and that are basically taking a big cut, you know, and, and, and that's a problem. The other is the, the food business in uh, Northwestern uh, Michigan. Uh, and this is kind of um, not so much gourmet foods, but high quality foods, farm to table, and they intermediate the, the business between farm and table, which, which already has a lot of intermediators in it, but without them and others like them would have nothing but phone calls between farmers and say restaurants and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and food retailers. So they're, um, they're, they're looking to create efficiencies because they're, they're in the middle of that, but they don't want to be the only one in the middle. They want to be the best one in the middle. And so, they're the ones that are getting excited about this. It's kind of, it's interesting that it's not the techies that are getting excited. The techies are very, for the most part, vested in the status quo because that's what they know. Um, and that's not entirely true, but it's largely true. Um, and we're hoping, you know, we're hoping to get more techies interested in it. Yeah. You have to find the techies yeah. that are interested in food and real estate. I think I would, I would identify as that, <laughs> that sort of yeah. techie. Okay, so, hey, I'm, I'm curious. A lot of us are. A lot of us are I'm so really into real estate and, and I sure do like mm-hmm. food. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, too. And, and we're, we are foodies. I mean, Joyce is a, yeah. is yeah. a cook. Yeah. She's not quite a chef, but she's really good. I should say, by the way, I, I'm trying so hard not to be distracted. We're, we're in Hawaii. I'm, I'm speaking to you from the South shore of Kauai, the island of Kauai, the westernmost occupied, you know, tourist occupied island. And, um, it's not, it's, I don't think, I think the whole island has maybe 60,000 people on it. Uh, and, and of course, thank you, COVID. It's, it's not highly populated by tourists now either. Um, I'm actually here for a funeral, but um, we were going to be here last week, but I stayed another week because we would have traveled this weekend and that would have screwed up being at the meeting today. So mm-hmm. we stayed another week. We're staying another week and I'm watching two geckos that call to mind a Geico ad on, on a railing here. Um, well, I have enjoyed I'm the waiting. birds. <laughs> yeah, you can hear the birds in the background. Yeah. One of them is a child that sounds a lot like a bird. I mean, and I'm oh, looking okay. out here. They've disappeared, but there's like a, what looks like a toddler who's barely capable of walking. It is out in the middle of a, about an acre of lawn and just wandering around making squeaking sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to the birds, I guess. Yeah, I know. And, and the birds here, some of them shriek, so you don't know if it's a bird or a child. It's kind of cool. Anyway, but I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm out on the, out on the, on, on the deck. Uh, um, well, that sounds lovely. You know, it is lovely. It's hot today, though. It's like 85, maybe. But, oh, wow. And it's been cool. But I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a ridiculously beautiful island. That, uh, there's... You can take a boat out to see them, the Peely Coast, which is basically an uninhabitable, uninhabitable cliffs with sharp blades on them that run 4,000 feet up and, uh, and are green and, you know, just amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, Isn't that where they filmed all the Jurassic Park movies and Lost yeah, and stuff? Isn't, yeah, yeah, some of the, the, there are little notes on the thing, this Jurassic Park happened here. Yeah, yeah. it's like that. It's quite a show. Uh, and it's and it's mellow in the in the Hawaiian way too, you know. So uh, Joyce is out getting a shaved ice 
which I don't think oh, is any different than an Italian ice in New York City. And it's, I mean, it's basically well, they have know, different ingredients. So they typically very top different. Them with you got the, got the mango milk and, and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yum. So that's that's uh, so that's fun, you know. And you know, I've been reading about the history of of the place, which is you know, which is lovely in so many ways, but also brutal in others. You know the you know, the, the natives were, you know, had wonderful traditions and the rest of it, but they did include human sacrifice, you know, <laughs> and it included Minor detail. <laughs> a, high, a horrible caste system and stuff like that. And, you know, the Europeans came and did all the awful stuff that they did. And, um, you know, and we're looking up, I was looking up the music and they're like, the music is like an amalgam of everywhere. Um, well, now the, um, the geckos are copulating. I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. This nature is happening right here. Right Very good. There. Little, so, little dinosaurs <laughs> left over. I don't see that um, in a gecko ad. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen in a gecko ad. So yeah. getting back to <laughs> getting back to your event. So is there any place where people can read more about what you're talking about aside from yes. the GitHub hub repository? Where, yeah, where can we point yeah. people to? I'll tell you Dig what, a little so deeper. If you go to customercommons.org, um, that all one word, just customercommons.org, you'd at least get our last, our blog posts on the topic. Uh, but it's, we don't talk yet about the Intentron or the Byway, uh, but, uh, but we will. And that's a okay. matter of time. It's going to be, it'll be probably at least next week before that's up. I, I say that because the next three days are, Another the conference that I co-put on called the Internet Identity Workshop or IAW. It's our 32nd. We do two a year. A lot of stuff has come out of that. Um, OAuth and um, some of its successors and OpenID and a lot of the work that Microsoft and other big companies have done on that. Uh, Self-sovereign identity, SSI, which we've talked about here. Um, a lot of those have been baked uh, or at least discussed and code marched forward. At IAWs, it's it's three 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 successive days of pure workshop. It's not there's no um no panels, no um, keynotes. It's all just uh, people saying I want to talk about this, and we go break out, and it's going to be virtual this time. Um, mm -hmm. So it's good, but anyway, I'll be fully I, I'll be fully occupied by that for the next three days, and then uh, I'm taking Friday off to actually see the island because I haven't done that except for one boat trip. And um, uh, and then uh, and then we're going back this weekend, so it'll be next week. But okay, something so the will week go up. after this is this yeah. will be released on Friday. Uh, and okay, so next, yeah. so if you're whenever you're listening to it, probably the next week after this episode is up, you should you should find some more information on customercommons.org. Yeah, so <laughs> there's. I'm laughing because it's not just the geckos who have now moved out of sight, out of sight for the sake of privacy, but two doves just, they look like morning well, doves. I mean, but, it's the beautiful but they're environment. What are you going to do? I know it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a great fucking <laughs> island is what, what it is. And <laughs> you don't have to think of a creative sound effect for that. I, guess. I know there's a, there's a t-shirt in that one too. Right. And uh, probably, <laughs> And you have do a visual with geckos and birds. That'll be the way to go. 
right. Well, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope uh, I hope you've all enjoyed this uh, intro yeah. to the Intentron and uh, this new new idea that uh, Doc's kicking around. And yeah, and I'd, I'd invite people. I mean, this is it's what is one of the people we talked to made an interesting observation, which is that as as we vet this idea that the techies all want to talk about business or ask business questions and the business people all want to know about tech. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And um, it's very easy to critique anything from a technical point of view. And I'd really invite people to think about the concept um, because there are lots of ways to execute it. And the way Hadrian's doing it is with existing code and existing standard, not existing code, but existing standards and existing norms that are borrowed from the enterprise and from certain verticals. And, um, but it's really, even calling it architectural is a bit too fancy. It's, it's really recognizing or considering the possibility that there's a lot that can't be done in business unless you have the infrastructure for it. And that there's a lot of infrastructure that's not gonna happen in a world where HTTP is the primary protocol, that there might be other protocols. Um, and, and, and addressing, by the way, is big in this, and he's using URN, uh, which I think universal something names. Um, it's a standard, uh, and, uh, and it's a subset of that. But the idea is that, is that you can have infrastructure that has a bunch of, a bunch of new forms of business, mostly, uh, that sit between demand and supply with agency, with greater agency at both ends and lots of ways to move messages and agreements and other things back and forth between the two um, that that don't require having a browser and setting it all up there. It's like not like browsers are excluded. It's just once you start there, you have a bunch of norms that we're coping with that almost unavoidably go to, well, who's going to be the big kahuna here and take over? Kahuna, by the way, being a, a Hawaiian word. So, yeah. So look at it conceptually. Awesome. Well, I hope uh, people will look at it and, and send you some feedback on it. Um, Excellent. Well, cool. Well, thanks for joining us if you've made it this and far. And thank you. And uh, yeah. next, next I see you all be back on the mainland, which is good. Yeah. And uh, apologies in advance if you have reached this <laughs> uh, episode because of its title, which may or may not be, it's a great fucking island, <laughs> or from a uh, promotional graphic involving a poop emoji. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. awesome. If you were expecting something else, yeah, apologies. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for listening. Excellent. Uh, we reach out for reach out to us with feedback, and and uh, until next time.